A Thousand Lives Lived podcast. The podcast where a thousand lives come to life. Where mysterious creatures take flight. Where the blind lead and where space is transversible. The place where the imagination is unleashed. Anything can happen. Hello, everyone. You have tuned in to A Thousand Live Lived, a podcast about everything and reading. And I am your host, Tamara Lindsay and Hazel Danes. Hazel Danes. And today we are going to talk about a video called Trope Talk Magical Other Worlds by Overly Sarcastic Productions. A link to it will be in the show notes. This is great. I'm very excited about this. Overly Sarcastic Productions has been around for a long time and they have a bunch of videos on YouTube and I can't recommend them enough. My daughter is the one who introduced them to me. And the two hosts are Red and Blue, and Red does most of it. Red does basically literary criticism, but it's not boring. <laughs> it's overly sarcastic, and it is absolutely wonderful. And she animates. She does um, animatics of her talking and stuff like that, as well as interspersing different images from the things she's talking about. And then Blue is the other person, and he's actually more of a historical person. So his videos are more about history. And so we're going to talk about that today. What did you think of the video? Yeah, I thought it was really well done. And she had some interesting things to say. Like, I like that she went into such details about other worlds. I've never really, I've never really thought of it as like a separate topic other than just storytelling and world building, but it's like separate. Yeah, Um, yeah. For, I love, I love the way she framed it too. So one of the things that she talked about a lot is the familiarity of the protagonist, your point of view character with the world you're in. So you can have a protagonist who goes into a world and it's the same world they already live in. And we'll go through the, the different types that she talks about, but it can be the same world that they already live in with like a twist, whether they're back in time or forward in time, but it has the same rules. Or it can be like a fantasy or something where you go into a totally different world. And that different world can be familiar with magic or it can be like totally strange. So she talked about three different types of other worlds. One was called the fantastically, what was it? Fantastically grounded. Fantastically grounded. That's right. Because that was the one that was just like our world, but slightly different. But it maintains the same rules that we know. So the protagonist is going in and they know what the rules are. And you know what the rules are because, you know, it's not exactly our world. And she makes that point that, you know, your characters don't go to the bathroom. They're, you know, uh, events tend to be compressed for dramatic effect. They leave out the boring bits, all that kind of stuff. And then the second type was the dreamlike fantasy. Dreamlike fantasy fantasy right and so this is one that's this less like reality I think that she was kind of insinuating that Narnia is kind of like that where they they're transported to another world that has magical creatures I guess in some books it's a little bit chaotic okay right there's magic and there's big major rule changes but not so much that you're just like, I don't know what's going on. There are rules. Yeah. That's what it was. There yeah. are rules, even if they're like big magical, like Narnia or, or, or things like that. And then the third type was a game or story type. Mm-hmm. 
where it can be very dreamlike, like think Ready Player One, or I was thinking the Phantom Toll Booth, where sometimes the rules, you have no idea what the rules are. Alice in Wonderland, where the rules are out the window and mm. things are very dreamlike and think, weird things are happening and you, you just don't know what's going to happen. And I love that that sort of along the continuum of, of the different other worlds. We are just going to take a 20 second break here. We'll be right back. Here at A Thousand Lives Lived, we have an exciting announcement. We are going to be starting the launch. We are going to be launching our very own literary magazine. We're looking for talented writers to write us some flash fiction, short stories, and poetry. We'll be featuring five authors on our covers every month and we will also be providing and we will also be posting each story to our website so be sure to check out so be sure to keep up with this news we'll be launching this fall Okay, welcome back everyone and thank you for joining us. We are here with Hazel Danes and Tamara Lindsay and we're talking about magical other worlds. Let's dive right in. She talked about how you get there. Sometimes you time, sometimes you go through a portal, like a portal fantasy. Sometimes you die. I don't remember the name of that type of Japanese anime that she was talking about where you die and then it becomes basically a power fantasy where you go you go into this other world where you have ultimate power and you you could see how that would be attractive. <laughs> yeah. What are your, some of your favorite? She had a few clippings from the newer movies of Jumanji where they're transported. Oh into my gosh, game. yeah. There's not a lot of people that I know, like family members, whatever, that actually like really enjoyed that movie. But I was just like, this is such a cool, fun idea. <laughs> like, I just love, it was hilarious. It was interesting. And the world building was cool. Like just love and the, the quest when it's a game it almost has to be a quest right right so, right it's um, interesting to compare that one to ready player one because they're both you're going into a game kind of but they have different premises yeah yeah i just really loved both of those they could just keep making those movies yes forever and yeah. hopefully they will yeah. um i was thinking about even ones <laughs> that you don't think of as being portal fantasies or being this type of thing a Secret Garden. Did you ever read Frances Hodgson Burnett's The Secret Garden? No. Nothing fantasy or fantastical happens other than a little boy who's crippled walks. He's not even really crippled. It's this amazing little girl who goes to a huge spooky manor house. Her parents die in India and then she comes back to England and she goes to this manor house where her uncle lives and he's kind of a very dour old man and she's just left to the governess to take care of and she ends up starting to explore. And she starts out as a really unlikable character. She's this grouchy, demanding little girl who just, you just don't like very much. Anyway, she goes out and she meets this wonderful boy out in nature who's just this wonderful, generous, he, he charms the animals. He has like six animals that go around with him. And then she also meets in the manor house, her uncle's son, who's even worse than she was. And he's very demanding and he's confined to bed and all this kind of stuff. And it's just the story of their friendship. Involved in it all is a secret garden that she finds the key to. And it's this magical, mystical place, but it's just a garden. And so it's actually 
sort of like on the, the one end of the spectrum, we talked about the fantastical, but grounded. And then the Ready Player Ones, they're more on the dreamlike, the gamer story where you go into a story kind of thing. And I love how, how it can be on a spectrum like that. And if you think about it, I mean, you are creating a world, as we've said many times before, when you write a book, you're creating a world and it's totally up to you. You can make it anywhere on that spectrum. And so it's interesting to give yourself permission to make it be whatever you want. One of the questions I wanted to ask was, how familiar is your character with the world? That's one of the points they made. Is it the world they already live in? Is it the world that they are familiar with? And, and she made the point of saying, if your protagonist is familiar with the world, you'll just kind of go along with it because they understand it. But then you can also have the, the fish out of water story where you go to a magical world that you have no idea, just like the protagonist, the protagonist and the reader don't, has no idea. And they're sort of leading you on a journey. Yeah. Do you have a preference for I one think type that, or another? Like as a writer, it's, it's easier to do the fish out of water because then you're answering questions naturally for the reader. For, um, for sure. And I think sometimes, you know how stories will often start out at the same place. The character does not remember anything or they wake up in bed in the morning. I think that that's a stand in for the writer who has no idea about the world. Have you ever thought about that? How, how a lot of stories start the same way because the writer is in that frame of mind. They don't necessarily want their character ha to have amnesia, but they have no idea what their main character knows because they haven't done any world building yet, right? And so they make them have amnesia. So they're discovering it as they're writing the same thing as the character is discovering it as they're writing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've never probably... actually thought of it like that, but that's very convenient, <laughs> isn't it? Yes. Yeah. 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 In the kind you're talking about where they don't know what the world is, often they'll have a buddy or somebody from the world that they could talk out loud to, especially if it's a movie, right? and explain the world and the person will be taking them on a tour. That's the way to do it. I think that it's really hard to be explaining a world and also writing as if your character is comfortable with it because you're essentially just writing this different world as fact, as if it's the same as our world, but it's like not. Right. I think that's a lot harder to write. Right. The thing is you, you generally write what is unfamiliar to your character. That's what people notice is the things that are unfamiliar and they sort of take for granted their regular world. So because you as the writer are managing people's attention and you're saying this is important, you generally wouldn't write the parts that they take for granted. And so therefore it's hard to explain a world that they're familiar with. And that's where you sometimes get that one person turns to another and go, as you know, the black-footed <laughs> ferret is 2.5 inches long or whatever, you know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> that whole thing where people are like trying to do it in dialogue, where they're trying to be clever about it. For me, I've discovered the best way to do it is just do it. Feed the information when it's necessary. Don't have a character say it or anything. Just, just have a paragraph where you go, the world is this, the history is this, and just feed as much information as necessary. And every once in a while, I'll have longer asides, but for the most part, I keep just a paragraph at a time. This is how this technology works. As a writer, turn to my audience and go, this is what it is. <laughs> Yeah, and, and move on. A, a lot of the times that can work well because of whoever your narrator is, uh -huh. right? If you have a decent enough narrator voice, it doesn't have to be like writer to reader. It can just be yeah, like narrator. Yeah, it's not That's that self-conscious. Right? It's a clear yeah. window, you know, kind of. It's just like, this is how it is. And when you write 
unfamiliar, whether it's sci-fi or fantasy or whatever, you have to do that. If you don't explain it, then people are going, what? I don't know. It is really interesting to think. I mean, that, that's something that took me a long time to get around to. And if you're very conscious about it, I think it helps you write it. Because if you're like, oh, this character does not know this area. I need a way to convey that information. It's like when you have something critical happen in the narrative, when your point of view character is not in it or not at it, how do you convey that? Yeah, or not conscious or whatever. Um, I mean, that is really hard. You either have to contrive another character who witnesses that. There's a memoir called Another Shitty Night in Suck City, I think is the name of it. It's an amazing memoir. But it does something that memoirs is not supposed to do. He talks about the main character is talking about him, main character, the author, the memoirist, is talking about himself and his life. And then he's also talking about his dad. And he gets into his dad's point of view. So in memoir, you're like, yeah, you're not supposed to do that. But what he does is totally legit, I think. He goes, this is what he might have been thinking. Hmm. He frames it that way. And then he writes it as a scene. Or, or this is how it might have happened. <laughs> which is really interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, a lot of it is how you frame it, really. Um, if you frame it in the right way, if you don't make it too self-conscious, you know, like we say, turning one character, turning to the other. Yeah. Well, and if it's not so detailed that it's, okay, what is this about again? What, what scene did we just leave to say this? And now we're trying to get back to a scene. If it's just a few sentences here and there that are, directed at something like technology. This is how you use it. And then you just go right back to the theme. Yeah. That's how you can do it. Right. Yeah. 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 And not have too much of it. Yeah. Don't be showing off. This is how much I know about this subject. <laughs> Only as much as they need to know. Dan Brown does a, an amazing job of this. And part of the reason, because he has so much backstory, so much information he needs to convey to you, but his plot is so compelling and going back and forth that you're compelled to keep reading to get to the plot part. But it's actually a little bit like punishment, not the reading of the backstory. Can't put it down and you have to read it. And you're like, uh, it's, it's a way to build tension, which is kind of like, no, you can't have the plot yet, you know? <laughs> and another thing that she sort of talked about, but I find very interesting is talking about a frame story. So she was also saying that a lot of times at the very beginning, main character will be in the regular world, whatever their regular world is. And then they'll almost immediately go to the fantasy world. And then, you know, maybe a little bit at the very end, so much so that she's like, don't even have the frame story. Don't even have the regular world. Just go directly. And I know I felt that. Have you felt that? Yeah, especially with movies where you're like, I know this is yeah. supposed to be about something fantastical. And are you going to get me there? Like, what do you do? Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. They used to do that a lot in Victorian fiction where they'd have a frame story like Frankenstein has a frame story. Um, I, have, I don't know if you've ever read Frankenstein, but it's got it starts in the northern wastelands of in like at the North Pole or something like that, or near the North Pole or something like that. And these people are out there and they pick up this guy who's dying in the wilderness and he starts to tell a story. And that's the frame story that, that frames Frankenstein. And then at the end, you get back to that spot. But a lot of times those stories, the frame is used to like justify it as if this is real, you know, I found this diary or, you know, that kind of thing that's like, this is actually real, uh, especially yeah. they used to do that, you know, Moreau, I think, 
Moreau that way. Or Dracula. Or Dracula, yeah, yeah. Yes. Or they're they're through letters where it's a contrivance, especially now been overdone. Yeah. But is the frame necessary? But I'm trying to think. In some contexts, I enjoy the frame. I remember a couple of years ago when I was like in my mid-20s or something, before children, I was trying to write this historical fiction <laughs> book. And I think the concept is still really good and it could be written. It just, it's like a monster to research. So I just have never touched it. Oh yeah. But it had a really interesting frame story where it started in some sort of medieval 1600s or something in Italy with this descendant of the main character in the far past, like the ancient past who was trying to make a case for his ancestor to be recognized as a formal saint in the Catholic church. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So he's going around to different monasteries. So I have him coming up to a specific monastery that has a reputation and will help him and blah, blah, blah. That's the frame. And then he tells the story of his ancestor to make right. his case. So I thought that's kind of cool to have two different sets of times because it's kind of like going in a time machine. Why is this even important? Why is the story important? Does the main character change? That's one of the things that I used to just, like when I first heard it, I was like, ah, it doesn't sound necessary. But now I really think it's true. If you're going to have a point of view character, they have to change in some way, even if it's a refusal to change. Everybody mm -hmm. around them changes and they don't change because they refuse to change. Change has to happen. But if a person is discovering something and they discover something, I mean, you certainly could have them changed because of it, but yeah. I think you would have to be, it has to be a story. I feel like the frame story has to be a story unto itself. Something yeah, has to happen yeah. and it can't just be a passive receptacle where you're basically sitting at a fire telling, telling a, story a story to your no. reader. Yeah, 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 yeah. What you're talking about also is Assassin's Creed. Do you know Assassin's Creed games? So the whole premise behind it is jumping back in time. There's a time machine, but you can only jump back in time into characters who are your ancestors. So you oh, have to have genetic, you have cool. to have a genetic link. And so you're playing in this game as a character, but you're actually playing as your great, 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 whatever. And so when you're set in France, you're your great, 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 whatever in France, or they have all kinds of different versions, but ancient Greece, it's really cool that way. And that's the frame story. I'm not convinced that that needs the frame story in that case. Every once in a while, you're kind of pulled out of it a little bit saying, hey, are you okay? Blah, 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 you know. Yeah. Um, but that's the same sort of frame story. Do you think that we need, that the frame story needs a story unto itself kind of? Yeah, I think it's, it's better if it does. And I think most modern frame stories do have their own plot line-ish. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I have actually been adding frame stories to some of my books, which is kind of funny. So I'll, I'll have my main plot line and hmm, this could be actually more interesting if there was another point of view, another yeah. connected character in a, say a different time or something like that. I don't know. I, I actually keep doing that. I don't know why, but. Oh, I think, I, I think that's totally legit. Uh, what, the one worn against, which can happen and it can be a manifestation of one thing as can a num number of things. I think sometimes people put it, for, and I'm, I'm totally don't think you're doing this. Absolutely. Uh, sometimes I think people put in frame stories because they don't have confidence in their story. And they're like, I need more, you know, yeah. and they'll be like, they'll have a frame story and then they'll do, and they'll do the same thing with plot. Sometimes people's plots get all convoluted 
and it feels like they can't let themselves go forward. They're like, they're not confident enough that the story is interesting enough or something to where they'll just have a linear story. It's like, oh, I have to jump back in time and jump back in time and go over here and do this and add this. And, and where you're just like, get it, get on with it, man. You know, um, a frame story is throat clearing, I guess is what I would say. Sometimes frame stories feel like they haven't let themselves get to the story they want to tell. Like I said, totally legit. I have seen hardly any prologues that I approve of. <laughs> prologues are one of those things where they they often end up being just throat clearing. They're not interesting. I mean, the one case that I've seen it most effectively used is when you need a point of view from your villain at the very beginning or something like that, where you just need a snippet of a different point of view. But a lot of times it's it's vague, it's atmospheric, it doesn't further the plot where you would be better served to just get into it. So I guess maybe that's why I'm a little skeptical of frame stories generally. Yeah, I've probably done them though. Yeah. <laughs> no, think. I think that I think that you're right. I think this is my idea of a prologue is like I don't I generally don't read them. I'm just like eh, whatever. Right, you're right. I know, right? If it's something it. you're gonna skip, then <laughs> so that's me as a reader. But as a writer, I think that they're fun. <laughs> Write it's the prologue different. and not put it in, though, if you don't think. Yeah, yeah. It. I think I could. I don't get more, very attached to like scenes or plot. I get attached to my characters. Like, if you tell me, if you're say editing my book or something, and you tell me you just gotta like cut ten scenes and be like, okay, well, that's fine. But if you tell me I have to cut a character, I'd be like, <laughs> you'd be like, you want me to kill my character? <laughs> That's really hard. Yeah, we're a little bit sidetracked from the other Oh, yeah, the random <laughs> but important okay. stuff, though, I think. Yeah. That it, welcome to my world. I am sidetrack personified, <laughs> I swear. Did we have any other questions about this? Um, any other points that she made? I was just going to ask, which one is your favorite other world type to write slash read? Yeah. The, the most outlandish ones. It depends. The ones that are most dreamlike. I loved uh, Alice in Wonderland, but Phantom Tollbooth, Phantom Tollbooth is my son's favorite book, but is too esoteric and too allegorical. It's like, I can't get a handle on anything. It would be a fun short story, but the whole book by the, you know, by halfway through, I'm skimming madly because I'm just like, yeah, that's clever, but cleverness only gets you so far. It doesn't have any heart. And I, my son would probably disown me for saying that, but no, he would. It's all in the execution, really, seriously. I guess I like the ones that are the least cartoonish, the most character-based. Although I have to say, as a movie, I loved what were you? Which, what was the one you were talking about? Jumanji ones. Jumanji ones. Those are not. Yeah. They're kind of they're kind of character-based, but they're yeah. they're just fun. I just they're just I, fun, right? I guess they have depth, but it's not like it's not like literary. I'd have to put my finger I don't know what about you okay well I put it in a couple categories I would have a different answer for writing for reading and for film okay all right so for film pretty much anything because I feel like it's easier to explain things in film or to grasp things some films I'm still confused and I don't know what's going on but at least you get the enjoyment like seeing this other world I just think that's just amazing that makes me like really appreciate films and how it's so easy to just 
get transported into another world. You just, there it is. It's right there. You don't even have to imagine it. It's that's what it is. So that's why I would say I would watch any of these types of other worlds. But okay, so reading, I find it really hard, which is, it's ironic because I like love, I love world building, but I find it really hard to read other people's worlds because sometimes they're just, there's not enough description. And that's just how. Oh, I know. I agree. So point, make sure you have enough description to explain your world, I think. Yeah, exactly. So I I go back to the Hunger Games because like, I just love that series. Um, I think that the, the way that she like makes the world understandable is just because of how her characters act and talk and what they do. It's not necessarily in like the world descriptions. It's in what's their life like? That economy of conveying things, being able to convey things very subtly and but quickly is amazing. It's just really hard to do. (laughs) It's so hard. It does still take at least two and a half books to be like, okay, I think I totally got a grasp of what's going on. I feel like even, you know, no book series is perfect. I think Hunger Games, she could have given you more on the history because I was always like, what? I want to know more about what happened. That'd be the story, man. uh, It's it's always like alluded to, but never told. So I was just like, ah, that's if anything was annoying, it was that. Do you think though that's one of the reasons why it sticks with you? is because you don't yeah. know. Yeah, and yeah. you want to like keep getting these clues of like, what is going on with this world? So I think that if I'm going to pick up a book that is set in an other world, I would probably go more fantastical grounded because I think it would be the easiest to understand. Like chaotic worlds sound like too much. There's just too much for me to read. But I can also appreciate the art of the author trying because I can't imagine, I wouldn't bother to ever write a chaotic world. I wouldn't know what to do. Gotta have rules for yourself. Yeah. That would be really hard to write. I would appreciate it for the art sense of like, wow, you, you wrote something that's really tricky. So good job, but I don't want to read it because it's too hard to read. It's too hard to come up with like what's going on and where is it and whatever. There's, it's interesting that the, what you as a writer feel is a lot of exposition. The reader may not. So my last book, I thought I was like, God, do I have too much explaining in this? Do I have too much expository stuff? And then I read a review about Lindsay gives you backstory, but very little, only about every 50 pages. And I was like, God, I thought I was explaining all the time. I thought I was so afraid it would slow it way down, you know, all this kind of stuff. Yeah, and, that's um, really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. And and I was like, I think I am explaining it all the time, but apparently it didn't come across as explaining. So that's good, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's really good. I feel like when you're creating another world, it's so easy to lose either your reader, right? Yeah. There's this amount of how much do you respect your reader to get stuff? I always err on the side of not telling so much and kind of just, I think of it as respecting my reader, but I'm sure other people are like, you totally left it, (laughs) you know? um, So there's a huge balance. Yeah, it's really hard. Like you're saying, there's a huge difference between what like an average bookstore reader thinks versus what a book critic or like a professional in like publishing would think, right? And it's the same with film. 
I'm always amazed at what the film critics love versus yeah. like what the moviegoers love. And it's, ne- yeah. it's almost never the same, right? I do not want to sit and watch this amazing art-filled film because it's just, it's exhausting. So one film, I think it was called The New World. It was a redoing of like the John Smith and Pocahontas story. And it was absolutely gorgeous. Everything was beautiful. The acting was amazing. But it was one of those films where there's not enough dialogue and the music is too loud. And you're just like, I have no idea. Like, I know this story and I'm like, what is the plot? What are you people doing? All you're doing is walking in beautiful fields and picking up corn and it's like what are we doing <laughs> and the, the critics love it because like of the shots are beautiful uh, and like the right? right like which it definitely was gorgeous but what are you doing with this but it, it's like the question of literary criticism we uh, talked about this in a couple months when I was in grad school professors do analysis of what you're reading and they but sometimes they interpret something through your own point of view and sometimes they take it off into this thing that everybody in the class is going what? I didn't yeah. get that at all, you know, and it's yeah. a very personal thing because it's what they're going through and it's to hammer the, the whole world's nail, right? And so they're seeing it through whatever their nail is. And so people can take it too far, I guess is what I'm saying, whether it, you're it's doing your interpretation or not enough plot. <laughs> I probably err a little bit more on the other side in that I like a little bit more interpretation, but definitely there's there's some movies you're just like, it's not worth it (laughs) no so you you think to yourself okay if I'm only interested in self-publishing then my goal should not be to impress publishers because I don't care yeah it should be to write the way that readers want to read it Right. right so that's actually in some ways like freeing you just have to retrain yourself in a lot of ways because like a lot of what we're told as writers is a formula for how to write something that will get published by a traditional publisher right right like like that's what the rules are for I think they made the rules in some ways you know yeah Um, yeah they they say I want something new and fresh and what they really mean is I want the exact thing that sold really really well last year which you can't blame them for but (laughs) yeah just with a bit of a twist you know yes well I don't want to do that (laughs) exactly Uh, if you write what you're really passionate about about what you love about about things that scare you that move you emotionally I had a a a writer friend established writer friend who said this run screaming towards your fear write about those things that really bother you that really that make you cry that make you laugh that bring you joy those are the things that are going to come across on the page you may not have the skill yet to really do it in this book, but the next book you might, you know, and, and those are the things that have the potential to be, they're the ones that create the next Tolkien and the next JK Rowling and the next whatever, because they wrote what they wanted. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't care about the rules and whatever. They're just right. like, I'm just writing this. I think we have to get back more into like the enjoyment of writing instead of the, the trade. Right, right, yeah. right, right. Although I, you know, like you were saying, you don't want to get so far away that you have no plot <laughs> and your characters are whatever, personifications of plants or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay. I yeah. mean, but if that's your thing, go for it. I mean, what the heck? Maybe that'll be. 
<laughs> yeah, if you do it well enough. Exactly. It's all in the execution. Yeah. There. It's all in the execution. That's our tagline for this episode. <laughs> it's all in the execution. She's back and she's pissed. I can't, I can't recommend overly sarcastic predictions enough. Trope talks are wonderful. My daughter will come and just bring up this thing that even I hadn't talked about in my graduate level English classes before. And I'll be like, wow, that is fascinating. So it has a long conversation and stuff. So overly sarcastic productions is amazing. So that's our show for this week. And I encourage you to go check out overly sarcastic productions. Bye. Bye. Well, thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to our channel. We've got some great shows coming up with amazing practical advice for writers and for the bookworms, fun features on new and exciting books soon to be released. You don't want to miss out. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook for all the updates. And if you'd like to be on our show, pitch us your idea on any of our pages. Until next time, keep writing, keep reading, and you'll live a thousand lives. <laughs>